is Entheogen. Elevate the conversation. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin. Please support Entheogen by making a donation on Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $1. Pledge just $3 or more and get early access to new episodes, plus exclusive patron-only features. Head over to entheogenshow.com and click on support. And thanks again. Today is November 11th, 2018, and this is a very special episode of Entheogen. We are discussing not smoking pot, and we are discussing... (laughs) We're discussing, uh, I, I guess it's about tempering our enthusiasm for uh, these, you know, these substances and having less kind of unbridled, uh, you know, enthusiasm about uh, entheogens in general and talking a little bit about the other side of the equation, which is more moderation than, uh, you know, than sometimes the compulsion to, to use substances and to consume things. So this is the uh, anti-consumerism show <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it could it could easily be about it, it just as easily be about like you know not drinking as much or not doing anything else as much uh, as it is about pot but this just happens to be the case right yeah it, it's it's kind of like when is an entheogen not an entheogen or when can you know something that's commonly that we commonly refer to as a tool of an opportunity it's something to help to help people and you know, speaking for myself and my experience with weed, it's it it's been it was a quest for moderation for a long time, and ultimately, I abandoned the quest for moderation to take more of a black and white perspective on it. And for me, it's been really healthy. It's been over a year since I've smoked weed after having been near daily smoker since I was like 15 years old. So I had a good long run. Um, what, uh, Brad, what, what what was your uh, relationship with it like? At the very beginning, um, you know, I was in high school. At the very beginning, it was it was recreational. You know, it was. I, I vividly remember the first time I smoked weed. It was at a house party. Um, I, you know, I was, you know, fifteen years old. I drank maybe a handful of times. Um, I was. It was Halloween. We were going to a haunted house, and I remember like smoking weed on the way to the haunted house, and having it affect me not at all. And and acknowledging that kind of cliched moment of like you don't get high the first time you smoke. Like I, I heard that and then I lived that and coming back, back to the house from this haunted house, uh, back to my friend's house, uh, we smoked again. And that night it's, uh, the opening scene of the movie half baked is genius. Cause that was very much my experience that night. I had a fucking blast. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I full on like trails, Everything was. I felt like I was in a dream. There was like ephemeral nature to everything that night, um, and, and I don't know. I just felt very positive. But it was it was recreational initially, and at the same time, like going on in my life in the background were some difficult personal issues. Like family stuff was going on, uh, and through it didn't take long for smoking pot on, like on the regular to be. Uh, a way to escape kind of some pain I was feeling in my personal life and things going on with my family. And I didn't think of it then in that way. That's something that I got perspective on years later. Um, but, you know, introduced to it recreationally, began to rely upon it, I think is is a way that I was able to kind of look back and understand mm-hmm. kind of my voraciousness with, with it. Um, but yeah, it started at a party. It was a hell of a lot of fun. Brad, were you using alcohol at that time? You said you were 15 when you when you started smoking pot. Did you kind of get into drinking around the same time or before or after uh, smoking pot? Yeah, around the same time. Exactly. It's like, you know, at a house party here and there. And, you know, I, it, yeah, basically the, the, the same time. I did always enjoy smoking more than drinking. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my my go to, but yeah, they both it was discovery of each around the same time. Yeah, I remember um, back back when I started smoking pot, and you know, and also of course drinking. I started drinking before I started smoking pot, but when I got into smoking weed, I remember thinking that uh, you know that was something I could almost like hang my hat on was like, well, you know, it's it's better than drinking. You know, and kind of turning my nose up at like you know getting wasted and like you know how you feel hungover the next day and 
And uh, it has, you know, obviously worse uh, health effects when done to excess, but, uh, you know, whereas pot is is generally safer. Um, and so that was something that I remember, like, realizing could... Uh, you know, it could could be like a defense of my, you know, my my desire or maybe just habit, you know, to smoke pot. Um, and uh, but those things are yeah. always kind of intertwined as two of the like probably most common ways we alter our consciousness in a significant way. You know, then of course, there's caffeine um, and, and lots of other substances. But but yeah, pot and uh, alcohol are probably the two most common ones. Right. Yeah, and I don't know. I as I'm listening to you guys uh, talk about this, I'm I was kind of thinking about when I also started smoking pot in high school, and uh, and kind of you know I, I think I would be kind of prone to uh, fall into the same type of pattern. And um, I think what um, turned me off, or at least uh, stopped me enough to 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 not get into that cycle with pot was that it absolutely um, amplified the the pre-existing uh compulsive activity i had at that time in my life which was eating and uh, yeah. every time i mean like i mean literally every time i would smoke pot i would just eat an insane amount of food and just feel sick i mean i would just wake up like the next day and feel so maybe it's like yeah you, you don't get a hangover from drinking uh from, from smoking pot but like i would feel almost worse because of, of the just the amount of like calories I'd assume, like the beating I would give my stomach uh, during that. And um, so I think it was it was it made very clear to me that uh, and, and you know I, I, everyone obviously jokes around about the munchies and whatnot, but I would see that what I was doing was not the same as what other people were doing. So it was kind of like putting out in very clear sight for me that I had like this underlying problem. Yeah. Uh, and so sort of like smoking pot for me would like I would I'd get kind of like, um, I don't know, very sensitive or withdrawn about having to come out, like be in contact with that again. And that would be kind of something I wouldn't look forward to as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that as you were saying that it gave me perspective of kind of how things change as we age too. like my relationship with food has changed as I've gotten older, where, you know, when we were in high school and we were in college. Kevin, you and I were smoking quite a lot together and having uh, some good times. <laughs> um, I, I feel it, like is, a young... Is it cool to mention on the air that I used to buy weed from you? <laughs> <laughs> this is like, I guess it is. Our, 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 <laughs> our, our business relationship created, uh, <laughs> created our friendship, basically. <laughs> so, Accurate. So for, so for Brad, selling pot was a gateway drug into doing this show, basically? Is that kind of... <laughs> Man, I, I was looking for I was looking for a place to plant that uh, gateway drug. Uh. <laughs> when I was, you know, when we were younger, I could eat as much as I want. I could eat anything I want, and I had a much more active metabolism, <laughs> you know. And you know, my relationship with food has changed as I've gotten older. And I felt like, like even smoking, the way it affected me physically and emotionally and mentally changed as I aged. And there was like when I was in high school. I think whether it was smoking or even drinking or other recreational substances, there was this kind of ignorance is bliss uh, allure to it. Like I wasn't very informed about what I was consuming and that was kind of part of the adventure. Mm -hmm. And then you get older and you learn more and you get better perspective on how, how things work and how they affect your body. You don't have the benefit of that ignorance anymore and you're all of a sudden forced to be a little more mature and make more informed decisions And I, you know, even with more information and even recognizing that, uh, I remember there was a while in, uh, several years ago where I thought I, you know, I wish that I smoked less, but the main reason why I wished I smoked less is I was smoking so often that I would, I was rarely getting particularly like high, you know, it was kind of more a maintenance and I I remember thinking, I'm like, if I take a few days off or when I did take a few days off that first time that I'd smoked after a while, it'd be like, holy shit, this is how good I remember it and how good it can be. I should smoke less so that I can enjoy it more when I do. And that was probably the fir- the, one of the first times that I began to think that I wanted to explore moderation and I wanted to just smoke less often. Um, and, you know, had mixed results and ultimately didn't 
didn't really feel like I was um, able to do what I wanted. And that opened the door to an entirely different way of thinking about it, where it's like something that started for me uh, recreationally and then started for me kind of as an emotional crutch now is turning into something that I'm being honest with, I was being honest with myself about what I wanted to do with it. And then I wasn't following through and that, that became kind of a troubling realization. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. Just sort of knowing that you're, you know, that you're, it's kind of the first moment you realize that you're not completely in control. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an interesting uh, aspect of the whole thing because, you know, it's, it's often uh, said that cannabis is not addictive you know it's it's i mean it's it's not habit forming in the sense of like a uh Chemic, chemically chemically right it's not chemically addictive uh in in that you know you will experience like withdrawal symptoms if you don't have it and and uh and things like that and and yet i mean that's not really entirely true either i mean there's certainly an effect um on your uh on on your body you know on on your mental state you know when when you don't have something that you have become accustomed to having be part of your constitution. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, there's the whole endocannabinoid system, uh, you know, THC and the other cannabinoids plug into these receptors that we have. And, and there's certain effects that, that they do have clearly. And so when you stop, you know, you will notice. Um, so I'm not really sure if we can rightly say it's not chemically addictive either. Um, but it's like certainly less addictive and less, um, habit forming than, than lots of other things. But you do form habits around it nonetheless. I mean, you, you do have this kind of like habitual, I mean, I'll speak personally. I have, I have that same kind of habit where if I would like to smoke less, I have to really make an effort. I have to really like work at that. Um, it's not easy, you know, to, to do that. Um, and it, so it, and, and I think like you brought up earlier, Kevin, I mean, that's also a, a thing that's really a theme in probably a lot of people's lives, but again, one I've noticed in my own life as well, where there's just this general tendency toward toward habitual behavior, um, and it yeah. might even borderline on compulsive behavior. You know, where you're not quite in control of that. Uh, you know, of, of like all the actions you take on a daily basis. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. I, I think that's uh, that that's the big key. I think it it, it tends to be. Uh, these things kind of develop in in parallel with some other thing maybe that's happening in your life and it you get into this brain circuitry that's about kind of uh, kind of reward and um, I would I guess about reward and then about reinforcing at the same time that's that same behavior as an escape uh, from something else I mean I you know it, it could be I, I think anything from you know pot to food to you know even like uh, gambling addicts as well right it's the same it's the same circuitry, and um, I just think that there's there's a point where you become aware when you're trying to moderate that in certain moments of weakness, it's almost as if you have no control whatsoever. Um, and and it's sort of, it's sort of for me, it was the first time I realized like maybe there is something to this that free will doesn't exist. (laughs) It's like this moment of weakness and it's like, I'm, it's almost like I am fighting with myself about what, you know, what I'm about to do. And it's like, how, how is this possible? How do, how have I lost control over a behavior? Um, and it, it was really demoralizing. It's really frustrating. Um, and, and, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think when, you know, Brad, I heard kind of the beginnings of this, uh, the story with Brad, I thought it was something, uh, that probably almost everyone can relate to in a different way. It reminded me a lot of Tim Ferriss saying once, um, that everyone you meet is struggling with something that you know nothing about. Right. Hmm. And I just thought that that was such a great, uh, phrase because I think we tend to, uh, I'm sure most of humanity suffers from something like this in their, their own way. And I think we tend to um, see see other people around us and sort of uh, uh, envy them in in certain ways about other aspects of their life or something, and just assume that that's impossible for them to have anything like this. You know? Yeah. I think it's probably and a lot I, more commonplace than we think. And I think it, you're right. And I think it can become commonplace because there's varying degrees of how certain compulsions interfere with your day to day life, and that. You know, for me, even as I was beginning to acknowledge that I wasn't, I wasn't being intentional about my behavior, uh, I was still 
going to work every day. I was still being successful in my career. I was still, you know, having an enriching social life. There was, it's a very subtle, it was, it wasn't challenging me to kind of force my hand. Like I was very, I was very functional smoker, I think is, is a common term. And, and I, I could smoke and, you know, be in social situations. I could smoke and go to the office. You know, I wouldn't do it often, but I did it enough where, you know, I was like, hmm, you know, one, my job's boring, so this helps me get through it. Um, but also, too, like, it'd be cool if I had a job that I didn't want to get I can go to. <laughs> um, right. And it, the the subtle nature of it, it took me a long time before I kind of approached the A word. Uh, you know, sort of thinking of my relationship with pot as truly being an addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there was a reflection I got uh, the book Infinite Jest uh, really shook me up, and in the the story that's told about what the main character, one of the main characters, this guy Hal, and how you know he, the book vividly describes addiction in for several substances, and um, it, it portrayed a picture that like you can become, you can be addicted to pot, and to the degree that it's subtle, is how it can be dangerous like it's sneaky it's like a sneaky kind of addiction because it doesn't force your hand to change your behavior it it really requires you to be proactive about changing your own behavior and it's so easy to not be proactive um another scene in half-baked that comes to mind when uh he's forced to go to like the the na meeting and bob saget you know hears dave Chappelle (laughs) claim that he's addicted to weed (laughs) you know he's just super offended yeah, he's just like upset at the idea that that and but you know that kind of that existed in my consciousness. It's like, well, at least I'm not addicted to heroin. You know, it's just weed kind of thing. Um, but it, it took me a long time before I I was able to admit to myself even that perhaps my quest for moderation, my failed attempts at trying to establish a moderate relationship with smoking weed, meant that I am addicted to it. And then uh, that was sort of another le- another level deeper of uh, you know acknowledging and accepting and then i think allowing me to be able to change uh, you know make a change based on being honest with myself about what needed to change this is on to you guys (laughs) (laughs) that last sound was brought to you by the trump administration (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I think Brad going on what you're saying, I think for me, uh, you know, before we were talking about this, uh, preparing the show, I wasn't even, this just started coming kind of slowly into my consciousness, but for me, my whole childhood, um, sort of my, I think I had kind of, uh, divorced parents and a very rough relationship between them. And I think at some point, um, you know, I have no memory of this happening, but I think at some point it could just food became like my safe place mm. and became a place that just, you know, hit the, hit the reward circuits and felt very good and felt very, um, just free of all the issues that were kind of happening around me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, obviously, you know, you're like, you're saying about smoking pot and when it's like, you just, you're not conscious of this and you're, you're also not old enough yet to become conscious of it. So it's kind of like these, um, behaviors like, you know, I feel like if this happens to you when you're in your twenties, it's like you you already have kind of the tools of like metacognition to think about yourself and, and and you know how you interact with things and and whatnot, what it means. And when you're younger, you just don't have any of that. Um, it just just kind of happens. And then you know, as as you start gaining a little bit more self consciousness, you start going backwards and you're like, oh, holy shit. Um, and I found it particularly frustrating because it's, you know, it's, it's, it was, it's food. <laughs> you have to eat, you know, like <laughs> so you can't, you can't moderate, you know? So, so I thought w- one of the things that was interesting about that is sort of what is the, the, you know, once you've decided you have some sort of an issue with something, like how do you go about um, changing it? Like what, what are the roots to, to a possible change? Um, so, well, I think something like moder- moderation is possible. I think it's probably also possible to work to kind of transform the habit in and of itself. But it's it's a very difficult realm because I think precisely when you're compelled to the habit 
is when you're sort of at your absolute weakest in term in terms of willpower and any sort of um, you know decisive behavior. Hmm. I blame society. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I I've spent you know I've spent the, these uh, you know hours uh, in you know contemplation uh, about you know like you mentioned the Kevin the metacognition where you know you think you know like why why do I feel compelled to like smoke pot after I get home from work? You know, it's the end of a long day. I've been working really hard. I need a transition time. I need to unwind from, a, you know, from a busy day and, uh, and just, I want to just veg out. I want to, I want to relax, um, you know, whatever. Uh, but you know, why, like, those are all justifications. Like, why do I feel this, you know, compulsion to, to do this? Uh, and then I sort of think, you know, where, where else does that apply? Gee, you know, if you think back through the whole day, uh, you know, there, there is that like compulsive, maybe like, you know, there, it could be snacking. Um, it could be drinking coffee through the day. It could be, um, you know, in addition to smoking pot or instead of smoking pot, it could be alcohol. Um, and I started to like, you know, think about my own behavior over, over the years and realize that really like lots of, lots of my behaviors, kind of have this form of, of, um, of, of like, uh, compulsive consumption. Um, you know, and it's not, I mean, it, that probably makes it sound, uh, like way worse than it, than it actually is in practice. Um, but it's just this like awareness of the, like the impulse to do that. And I, again, like I blame society because I think, and it's kind of, ha I'm half joking, but I think it all stems from this consumerism that, you know, is sort of like a fundamental, uh, like, like, um, probably quite intentional, like building block of society, you know, uh, at, at least in the United States, like, w you know, and, and throughout much of the world, um, it's based around consumerism. Um, it's like this, you know, uh, capitalism is kind of the engine, but like, it's, it's founded on like this base of consumerism or like, you don't have enough, uh, like fuel for the, uh, for the engine, you know? And so like from consumerism, all these other side effect behaviors maybe stem or maybe maybe consumerism is just preying on the same like fundamental reptilian part of our brain or something that is prone to this type of behavior. Um, but I mean, it, you know, whether it's like an intend an intended uh, like um, design, you know, goal of society or whether society is just not doing a good enough job of treating this. I blame society either way. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you, how do you mean exactly? Yeah. Cause I feel like I, I can, I can follow you on sort of the parallels, uh, between consumption. I think the, the, the reptilian brain is definitely to, to, to blame. And, uh, in both cases, but I almost feel like the behavior that you become compulsive about is just, it can be anything, you know? So it's uh, it literally just, just any sort of like substance or, or uh, behavior that pulls on that uh, circuitry. So um, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. I feel like if there weren't particular drugs, you could just do it. Like I said before, with something like gambling or sex or anything else where, um, you know, you're, you're, you're always sort of, uh, open to the possibility of developing this kind of habit. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe part of what I'm saying is that we, we do have like addictive tendencies, you know, psychologically, um, and whether that comes yeah. from some biological component, you know, deep down or from just like, uh, you know, just, just training, um, you know, the, these things all prey on that same kind of, uh, weakness maybe, yeah. um, you know, consumerism being like the, the general, you know, it, it may be, I'm not using the term exactly right, but, but basically, um, like from the time where we have jobs or even before that, you know, we're sort of like trained, uh, that our job is to like buy things, you know, like you, you're supposed to like look around and see which thing to buy, you know, like you, you need to yeah. be buying stuff all the time. Uh, and, uh, like, you know, and that goes for lots of things, like whether it's, uh, electronics, you know, and there may be like planned obsolescence built in. So you'd, you'd really have to replace things and be buying things constantly. Or maybe it's just like, where do you want to, you know, which, which things do you want to consume food, fast food, uh, you know, again, coffee, fancy coffee beverages with like loads of sugar, um, just things like that. Like we're supposed to always be buying stuff and consuming things. So you're bringing things into your life and you're, you know, you're, you're physically consuming them. And so that, uh, 
you know, not only applies to food and, and, and drink, but also, you know, other substances. I think food, though, it's particularly poignant. There is a, a point when I was in college interning for a public affairs consulting firm, and the, the client was Master Foods, Mars Candy Bars. And there was legislation passed. This is when I was, uh, I had a semester abroad in London. And there was legislation passed in Sweden that was made it illegal to advertise to the demographic of 12 or younger. Basically, like advertising to children is illegal because based on the economic principle of what advertising is, it's to inform consumers and children don't have resources. So it, it was supposing that marketing to children is basically brainwashing and shouldn't be allowed, uh, which feels right to me. <laughs> um, and they were kind of afraid of potential EU-wide policy of this vein. And so I was doing research on obesity and where it happens in the world and why it happens in the world. I came across a pretty chilling statistic about the United States, where in the United States, and this is as of 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, enough part of it's just like simple economics, like enough food is produced on a daily basis, equivalent to 4000 calories per person per day. So there's an overproduction of food in the country, which according to supply and demand means that there will be an unnatural increase of uh, demand based on the excess supply and that the price for that excess demand will go down. But it, it if, like it happens most with shitty food. Right. Like cheap, yeah. sugar-rich food. And then the other statistic that was pretty chilling was our generation growing up, 85% uh, of the advertising that was directed to us when we were kids was for food. It was all cereal and yeah. snacks and soda. Um, and so food is particularly like, – so that's that's one aspect of I think this whole thing is that compulsive nature, blaming society, what's within our control, what's not within our control – I think another side of it, another facet to it is uh, something that reminds me of when we were reading and talking about the book Stealing Fire, uh, that entheogens like weed or even food or different, different things that we've been kind of referring to them as can be a trap of compulsion. There's also a positive aspect to it. There is a, a natural tendency to want to change our consciousness. And I really enjoyed reading that book. Because it, it, it's sort of as you're dealing with addictive relationships with things, you can kind of vilify the substance, vilify yourself. Uh, whereas getting perspective on changing your consciousness is a natural phenomena and it's like acknowledging that. And then the whole last part of the book, the hedonic calendaring aspect of cataloging all the different things you do and thinking about why you do them without a judgment, but then to begin to proactively uh, schedule these things or mm -hmm. take a break from them, you know, like get perspective on why you're doing certain things. So I, I think not a direct contra, but like a sort of other side of the coin to the whole, uh, compulsive nature to it is that there is a positive aspect. There is a reason why, you know, I wanted to smoke pot for so long. Yeah. And, and definitely in this uh, society, like, I mean, like what you just said about um, advertising being aimed at kids and whatnot, there's just a minefield of uh, stuff you have to navigate when you're when you're a kid. I mean, you're exposed between you know, what you just mentioned about um, advertising to, to children for food. Um, I, one that that's blown my mind lately thinking about it kind of over the years is is like how pornography has changed. Like, I feel like when we were kids in school, it's like pornography was like once in a while you'd be able to like get your hands on a dirty magazine and then like you'd have it for like a year and then you'd like trade it with like some other guy who got one. And then you'd, you know what I mean? That was like the, ex the, the extent of, um, where the, the sort of uh, habit could go. So it's almost like, you know, it would, it would be limiting to compulsive behavior. Whereas I feel like if you're a kid now. I can't even imagine like if you're, you know, whatever the, access. the age is. Yeah, just the access and just the free stuff that's like one click away. And then, you know, and then having to um, kind of control the impulse to, to watch or not watch uh, pornography, you know, whenever you want. Um, and especially kind of the, the degree to if it's not only about the frequency and the access, it's also about kind of the, the content in and of itself. 
right? Um, you know, I sort of like the we were we were almost our act or the content we received was kind of like a very curated, right? It was, you know, I mean, like Hustler magazine was the biggest deal, right? Because it was kind of like the raunchy magazine. I mean, it's nothing in comparison to anything anyone can find, and you know, all of the uh, the the free porn channels these days. But um, I just yeah, I just feel like it is it is difficult. Like if you're a kid, it's like we don't particularly get taught how to you know to navigate these things and to 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 avoid um problematic behaviors um but i also thought it was interesting what you said brad too about about how i don't know about how they kind of um transform over time because i, I felt like you know in my case was particularly about food it was something that almost in time is i, I there was just i would struggle i would go there'd be no way to control it i would do something like very radical with like very mm, insane self-discipline i would like lose a lot of weight that would that would eventually like tire of that and it would you know it would come back and it would just it would just be this seesaw and this like very tiring process of fighting with myself all the time and then it, it, it almost sort of miraculously began to cure itself once I got into um, sort of um, changing the foods I was eating and being interested like intellectually and in more in healthier foods, et cetera. And it was almost like I developed like a new circuitry that that felt good when it ate good things and, you know, and had good behaviors like exercising etc whatever and it was kind of able to like redirect that into a new um area and uh, i feel like it was a, a complete transformation to the to the to the point where like i uh nowadays and this sounds like i'm if to me when i think back about it it's a it's a miracle you know and it's like i'm 38 years old now and it took that long but it finally like transformed in a way that is lasting and requires absolutely no willpower on my end you know yeah well, that's that's awesome, man. That it's a really positive shift that can happen, and I think there's different ways that there can be substitutions, you know. And and yeah. And even though I, speaking of substituting one thing for the other, even though I feel like having not been smoking weed for you know over a year now, it's been a very positive shift for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that I feel like I'm still contending with, uh, in the sense that I drink more than I did when I was smoking pot regularly. And I don't, I don't love that. You know, I, I don't, similarly, it's not, uh, it's not totally, I can, you know, it's a functional habit. It's not, uh, you know, it's not an issue with my health, but it is just kind of something that I'm acknowledging the, the compulsive nature of it. And sometimes it feels a little bit like I've replaced one for the other or, you know, so I, I'm, I don't know, still, but, still, still a work in progress. Okay. But, but I think, but, but it's almost like you can look at it in one of two ways, right? It's like, is, is it, there's a, maybe part of it that's just sort of a, um, a vehicle for relaxation or a vehicle for unwinding or something. And that in and of itself is probably not a bad thing. It's just, just, just the way you choose to sort of express that. Um, whereas I think the, the kind of the negative aspect um, you know, health, health stuff, uh, apart is sort of the, the effect you feel like it might have on things outside of, you know, outside of just you, whether it's in a, you know, effect on your relationship with work or your relationship with a partner or your relationship with, um, you know, some other fundamental aspect of your life. You, yeah. know I mean? you know what I mean? It's like, where it's like, Absolutely. Oh, I, just, I drank too much uh, last night, you know, and I had three beers and I wouldn't have done that before or whatever. But it's like, in the end, it's like, okay, but I was just unwinding or whatever. And, and I didn't sort of negatively affect any other aspect. And that's a win, you know, even if it doesn't sound like it or feel like it. I mean, if it, if it, yeah. you know, if it limits sort of the, the collateral damage. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, you know, going back to, to pot, like I think the, that was a big motivator into my decision to give up the quest for moderation and accept that maybe thinking in a more uh, black and white way is worthwhile was like one of the most troubling realizations is that I noticed a pattern of behavior of hiding from my partner, the 
how often I was smoking and how, like how I was consuming, you know, with edibles and ways that you can kind of subtly consume and perpetuate behavior or an addiction. And that as I, it sounds a little, um, it, it may sound a little, uh, dramatic, but kind of coming to this place of acknowledging that like an addiction is a relationship with yourself. And I felt that for me, I needed, I wasn't really a, totally available to be in a relationship with another person completely so long as I had this relationship with weed. And it was uh, like a conscious decision to choose to be more present and more honest and more in my relationship with my partner that was the kind of pushed me over the edge and in, in the decision to, to stop smoking weed. Um, and that's been one, that's been the most positive thing that's come through this. And it, it, and it started with something that I was afraid to do in any relationship that I'd had prior, which was to talk about it talk about weed and talk about my struggle my relationship with it and it, you know it took years to to kind of let her in to what i was going through um was that a, a a particular moment where you made the decision that you were gonna do that or did that just kind of slowly creep in um well it there was I think a testament to her and a testament to our relationship more than any other relationship I've been in, I felt comfortable bringing it up in the first place uh, early in our relationship where I think my, my pattern of behavior prior to that was if I don't talk about this, it can remain to be my own thing and it can remain to be something that I can take care of myself with. And so mm -hmm. to even talk about it in the first place was an extension of vulnerability and an extension of, um, so it, it happened several times over the years of, and I, what I found is that it didn't get easier per se. I, I, once I was vulnerable and talking about it mm -hmm. months later, it didn't mean like, Oh good. We've, we've already cracked the nut of being able to talk about weed. Now we can talk about it any time. Each and every time it was something that was coming to a head for me and something that I was dealing with, it was still a difficult thing to talk about and to be open and honest with her about and with myself about. Um, so it, it happened early, but then, you know, it evolved where once I kind of let her in and let her knew that this is something I struggled with, she thinking of me as a long-term partner in her life knows more about me now and was a little bit more tuned into my frequency of use, you know, and what happened with me when I was, you know, using it. And that started the pattern of behavior of like starting to hide it, you know? Um, uh -huh, sure. And then, uh, yeah, so it, it, it threw out and it, and, and it, you know, still to, to, it's, you know, it doesn't ever become an easy thing to be vulnerable in your relationship with your partner. It requires, for me, it requires courage that I summon all the time. And even, uh, like even thinking about trying to do this very special episode <laughs> and, you know, share a personal story like this, uh, talking to her even as recently as last night about the the replacement nature of alcohol for weed was something that um, it's just the most recent example of continuing the practice of trying being honest and being vulnerable and and letting her into something that it would it would if I was only responsible for myself I wouldn't have to uh, account for that but I want to be responsible for more than myself and part of that I believe is communicating with your partner in a way that if something's difficult, I want them to know and I want them to be able to, you know, 
to know that and maybe, maybe help, maybe not, but at least start with just knowing. Yeah. That's a really powerful step to take, to be able to share that, uh, you know, to share something so personally personal with your partner. Um, it's, you know, because as you've already described, as, as we've been talking about, like it's hard enough, uh, you know, for us as individuals to struggle with these things, uh, struggle to sort of like get a handle on our own, uh, you know, our own behaviors and, uh, and have some kind of willpower and discipline and, and do what's right for ourselves. And then sharing those struggles with, with, with a partner that's close to us, um, it would almost seem to complicate things. You know, it's like, I want to not smoke pot, but it's really hard. Like, you know, even just thinking about that myself is a struggle. Like the last thing I need is someone else to be like, yeah, in my ear about it, you know, like kind of. Right. No, that's right. Maybe sometimes I would just want to hide from myself and smoke pot and not, and just let myself get away, away with it and not really think too much about it. But if you, as soon as someone else is like aware of that. um, So that's a really, really big step to make. I mean, it speaks a lot to the strength of your relationship, obviously um, to be able to, to do, to do that. Um, Brad, I'm wondering if you wanted to talk any more about the, um, like moderation versus kind of like the black or white, you know, attitude, like how, how difficult it can be to just sort of like limit your behavior versus like, like to, you know, limited on a daily basis versus like a a constraint, you know, putting in a constraint, like just not doing it. Well, also how how difficult it is to, you know, when you're, um, in a strong place or a, a moment of willpower to be able to like, you know, in a very cerebral way, organize something that makes a lot of logical sense and then not just, you know, just completely change the plan on the fly when you want to do that thing, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is the most common thing, right? It's like I thought about it for a long time. I've deliberated. I've talked to a lot of people. I have this kind of like this plan in my mind. And then it's the second one is like, well, maybe I don't have to do that exactly. Maybe I can just do it once in a <laughs> yeah. while. And it's like just yeah. goes to shit real fast, right? Right. And then, and then Kevin, same question to you, but about porn after Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, wa- I'm actually, I've been, I've been watching porn this whole episode. Now, right? <laughs> right. If I've been right. silent, I apologize. Yeah. The, the show notes this week uh, for the listeners will consist of uh, Kevin's private browsing history uh, for some uh, context and background. <laughs> and my um, left-handed only comments in the, uh, <laughs> in the document. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, to your question, Joe, about how, you know, moderation versus thinking black or white. I, there, there was a point uh, a couple years ago where I didn't smoke weed for four months, and that was a conscious break that I was taking, and <clears throat> it felt good. It felt good physically. It felt good at the time. But what I noticed that when I was not smoking weed, with the intention for it to be a period of time that I would then re like begin again. Uh, I just, I thought about it a lot. I thought about, you know, it, in different ways. In one way, it's like, hey, this is great. I'm proud of myself for having the strength to to do this. That that was one thought. The thought could also be like, yeah, man, like, just had a great meal with my friends. Wouldn't it be awesome to just walk down the street with my friends and like smoke a joint now? Like, this is a very specific moment where, man, it would be really nice. Um, but not right now. But someday in the future, all I look forward to appreciating this this moment in that way, um, and then just thinking, kind of kind of daydreaming about oh, four months from now, it'll be so fun to do this again. I I miss it. It's something that I you know kind of long for in certain ways. And so when I was taking a long break, it was very much in my consciousness. Uh, and then I noticed that to decide to not smoke weed again and to say that out loud and to to believe that that's something that i should or want to do it was very emotional at the time but in the wake of that having made that decision i don't really think about weed anymore like i don't think about it as often and it's just freed up a lot of my consciousness to all other things and i think that's that's been one of two ways that being black and white about it and not smoking weed has been the most positive shift in me is that I just, I don't, 
I don't really think about, with a few exceptions, you know, like going into Burning Man this past year, I was kind of wondering how coming up on my one year anniversary, would I acknowledge that? Would I maybe allow Burning Man to be a place that I could smoke weed and not feel bad about it? And, you know, and I ended up not, I ended up, you know, deciding there that I didn't want to do it. So it's not that I never think about it, but I certainly think about it a lot less. And that's been a really positive way that to be black and white about it has been helpful for me. Um, you know, I think to answer your question, and that's what I would say. And, and on this train of thought, the other way that it's been really positive for me is I used to feel moody and I, and I always kind of wondered that, if smoking weed was making me moody. And then I noticed that when I was smoking a lot of, when I was smoking weed regularly, it, it was moodiness that came with uh, a lack of clarity as to why I was moody or why my emotions were the way they were. And so it became an easy default to think it's probably because I am not high and I want to be high or I'm high and I have a headache or I'm high and I have a short attention span and I don't like something happened that I need to be responsible for and, and think about. And I'm like, ah, what a pain. Like I just want to let go right now. Um, and then I've noticed that in, in the absence of smoking, uh, I didn't magically stop becoming moody. Like I, I still have sways and emotions, uh, but that there's less of a cloud of, confusion as to why I feel certain ways and I've become much better at just sort of like naming my emotions as as they occur and you know saying I'm not in a good mood right now <laughs> where like before when I was smoking a lot it's like I don't want to admit that I'm not in a good mood because that's going to mean I'm addicted to weed and then I'm gonna have to do something about it you know what I mean right. um so like there's there's like a, a an acceptance and a clear understanding about myself um that's been positive. Yeah, personally, personally, I'm I'm feeling like this is a uh, a uh, slow moving and subtle intervention uh, in in my life that you guys have staged here under the auspices <laughs> of uh, Brad's own experience. You're finally gonna <laughs> finally gonna kick that porn habit, yeah. man, or what? <laughs> we can work on it together, I'm, man. You know, I'm sorry, I, I've, been, I've been waiting for like five minutes to like just throw that one right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> As Brad was saying, you know, how, how little he, he thinks about pot these days, I was thinking, you know, of asking you that question, Kevin, how, how often are you thinking about porn through, throughout this conversation? But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, no, it's very interesting thinking about these, uh, different behaviors we have and, and, uh, you know, pot it's, it, you know, can be, can be a crutch. Um, and, and by, you know, by taking that step to, uh, to, to put away the crutch, you are then forced to basically like work on, uh, you know, real healing or real, um, you know, physical therapy or whatever the case may be to, you know, to continue that metaphor. But um, it's, you know, you have to first recognize, like you have to first really, you know, analyze your own, your own behavior to realize that that's something that, uh, you know, that was a tendency. And by eliminating that kind of variable, you no longer have the crutch of like, you know, of, Get, getting high and not to mention it does I think tend to bring the emotions more to the forefront to not have that sort of cover of of you know of just getting high because um, it's kind of it can be an answer you know like I'm I'm frustrated and I'd rather just be high or I'm, I'm annoyed and you know hey I, I have a solution for that you know I can just get high yeah um, so it's it's kind of like an easy go-to answer and to take that away you, you are forced to evolve really I think yeah, I also uh, I also just think that there's um, you know and, and, and I think it's very obvious in the story Brad's telling. I think um, you can uh, sort of you know see see the moments where you have to kind of make a really tough choice and and uh, and be and be very brave about it to put it in a way. It sounds uh, I mean making a like you said before Brad, it could sound almost dramatic, but it's not. It's it really does require bravery, and uh, it just makes me think of. Uh, an experience we had uh, sort of this year uh, with a campmate, a Burning Man, who uh, I you know don't want to don't want to name, but uh, but who who kind of went through a similar thing, and I just you know I watched him do it, and I just there's a moment where I was kind of stood in awe and said like this is one of the bravest things I've ever seen anyone do, you know it's just the uh, it, it just requires like a f you know a full um, 
a full exercise in in willpower in order to make a meaningful change in your life and i think it's um you know to be able to do that and have it last more than a day is pretty it's just pretty cool yeah there was a conversation i had with this this good friend of ours this person you're talking about um who took the opportunity to go to a camp at Burning Man that's an, an NA camp, a Narcotics Anonymous camp, to, to sh- you know share with other people who are going through or had gone through something what he is going through. He, he said that one of the things that they said there that really stuck with him was how lucky are we to have a disease that the cure for is to be a better person. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's it. I think, you know, I, I hadn't exactly put my finger on it at the beginning of the episode when we were kind of talking about how to, how to frame this. But I mean, it's, you know, if there's, um, apart from entheogens in and of themselves, I think the, one of the, the underlying principles of the, the conversations we have on this podcast is, is, is about that, right. Is it sort of always looking for a way to to kind of be a better person. And I mean, if that, that's a beautiful way to frame that it's because that that's really what it is. Well, I'd like to propose a toast, uh, to your sobriety, Brad. Um, here, here's, uh, (laughs) here's to many more years of, uh, no, in all, in all seriousness, I mean, it's, it's something to celebrate and, um, really it's, uh, you know, let, let it be an example to, to listeners who may, who may have had that thought, you know, sort of nagging at them uh, over the years of like, you know, would would I be a different person uh, if I if I gave up, you know, certain habits? Um, and uh, it's just, you know, it's something worth contemplating. And uh, you know, it's funny because ironically, um, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's entheogens that kind of uh, inspire that type of metacognition for for a lot of people. I mean, for me personally, it's it's furthered me along that path. And so it's kind of ironic that these things can be the how did the Simpsons put it? Um, the 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 cause of and solution to all of life's problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys giving me the space. Um, you know, being close friends of mine, and I think even considering talking about this in the in a public forum of the show is uh, isn't easy in and of itself. But you guys help me help myself in that way. And I appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Thank you. Well, thank you for, uh, having the, uh, the nards to talk about it. <laughs> Put it that way, you know, I mean, really, I, I, it, it's not, uh, you know, as hard as everything you've, uh, gone through, uh, with this has been, I think, you know, actually taking the step to talk about it publicly outside of a group of friends is, uh, is a big deal. Well done. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Thank you, guys. That was Entheogen. Elevate the conversation. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin. Please support Entheogen by making a donation on Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $1. Pledge just $3 or more and get early access to new episodes, plus exclusive patron-only features. Head over to entheogenshow.com and click on support. And thanks again.